Um, you'll need a pen or a pencil, or you can use the online notes. If you learn best by just listening, that's great too. While you get ready, I've got two quick announcements I need to make. You saw that the men's advance retreat is next week up in Estes Park. I just felt like uh, I just want to try one more time to say this. I know, believe me, I live in the same world uh, with, the, with the same things going on, whether you believe that or not. And I know how leveraged you are for time, uh, attention, affection, and for dollars. And I know that everything around us today, part of our culture just screams, um, what about me, what about me, commit to this, do this. And I know then, like, like a men's advance, we look at that, it's intimidating, number one, uh, to go and do it. Um, it's, it's, um, it. It costs money, and it takes time, and it's easier just to pass on it. That's the truth. It's easier to pass on it. But I just want to say this to you, and I felt like, you know, if you have ears to hear, if you're sitting there on the fence and you're just not sure. So I just want to say this to you. Um, this advance, this time, I'm teaching at it. We're not bringing in another teacher. And we're, we're titling the idea, Sons of God, no longer slaves, but friends of God, sons of God. And it really is about identity in Christ, who we are. And you know, you go from a place of being passive and powerless to being very powerful and on purpose when you know who you are in Christ. And to lead anything effectively, it has to come from that place. And if you find yourself as a man who wants to follow Christ but struggling with, I just don't know how to do that. And I just always seem like I can't get started and then it doesn't, doesn't seem to ever take at my house or in my personal life. That's what this is for. It's to help establish those things. And I don't know how else to say that except to say that to you. And I don't know how else to push you except to say that I'm going. I'm going to be there. And I'm, I'm taking the time. And I realize the, I realize the competition for everything around us. But man, I just, I feel like I need to say it to you. Uh, the setting is Estes Park. Um, it's a little known fact. When I need to desperately hear from God, which is, you know, fairly often, but at times when I feel like I can't hear from him, maybe it's Denver and it's all the light pollution, I'm not sure. Uh, I get in my car, drive up to Estes Park, because I used to live in Fort Collins many, many years ago, and uh, I'd make that journey much easier going up 34. Um, but I'll drive from Denver to Estes Park and then go up in uh, the National Park. And I found this rock. You've got to hike back to it. But I found this rock. I titled it John's Rock. Um, and I don't tell anybody where it is because it belongs to me. Um, and it overlooks this valley. And I don't know what it is, but somehow when I experience creation, I experience God. So setting is important. Do you believe that? God can speak to us any place, but setting prepares our hearts in ways that, uh, that other things don't. So that's, that's what this next weekend, it's setting so that God can speak to us. So I don't know how else to say it except to just encourage you. Uh, if you haven't signed up for it and you can go, go. That, that's, that's the final word on it. And then the other one is just simply this. Um, we've been talking about receiving an offering to give away uh, in Israel when we're there in a month. And uh, this is the weekend for it. So if you are prepared to do that, then give today, and you just need to designate uh, for Israel whatever part of that that you want to do. Don't divert your tithe. If you hear me say this today and you're like, oh, you hear the message, and then you're like, I want to be a part of it, don't divert your tithe because that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't, it doesn't help us here to do something there if we're pulling from here. We already give from here. This is, this is an offering that goes above and beyond what you would give uh, to your church on a regular basis. Um, if you're not prepared to do it today, you have a month. You can pray about it. 
if you're just like, I need to see how things go, that's great. You got a month before uh, we need to do it. Um, I'll tell you something that's interesting. I, um, I just have it in my heart that this year is supposed to be more than what we normally do. And last year, you gave $50,000 for me to give away in Israel. It's a significant amount of money. But I feel like this year it's supposed to be more. And I don't know why. I just feel like God is saying, just go for it. So I contacted five people who um, are supporters of our church, but they don't go here. Supporters of Israel, and have historically, they've either traveled with me to Israel or they've supported what we do in the nation. Um, So I contacted five people who have made themselves available to me by saying this. If you ever need something you can let me know. Now, I don't think that gives me carte blanche every week to say I need this. Um, but I do think on rare occasions, in fact, with one of them, it's the first time in years I've even approached them. But I do feel like it's given me the ability to go to them if there's something. So I contacted five people and I said, hey, we're doing an offering the 28th and the 29th for Israel. And I know you guys support what we do there. Uh, would you consider praying about giving to this? And uh, I've raised $25,000 before we even take this offering. Now, let me say this. Don't go, well, then you don't need anything else, right? So that's not it. I think what I'm trying to say to you is, I believe God is trying to do something with this significant, and I think we can do something powerful there. Now, so what, what do I mean by giving it to Israel? The Israeli government? That's not what I'm saying. It's ministries and people that help us with the gospel and what we do with our trip in Israel. So, um, that's, that's what you're giving to. I'll give a report when I come back. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to do. So if you'd like to be a part of it, uh, that's it. Okay, enough commercials. Uh, let's jump into this and get going. Here's what I'm teaching on today. Listen real carefully. Uh, I'm going to teach on the Feasts of Israel. Yeah, thanks for that delayed response to that. So here's what I know what you really think. You're like, oh, geez, he's back, and that's what he's going to teach on. Uh, why did I come today? Why did I invite somebody today? So let me, let me say this real quickly. I know this is going to be a little bit like, uh, like just right coming into your living room, but you need to hear this. We, we can be very duplicitous with the way we treat spiritual things and the way we treat earthly things. So when it comes to spiritual things, if they're difficult to understand, if we have to study them, if it appears to be boring to us, if, it, if we have to be deep thinkers about it, here's what we say with it. I'm not going to bother. I'm going to drop out. I'm not going to go. I don't need to learn about that. And we think that's just fine. But if, how about this? In high school or college, did you ever take a class that was difficult to understand? Yes. Required you to think deeper, yes. <laughs> to have to reach inside of you and dig down deep to learn about something. If that person were to take a class, and you say, this is just too hard. I, I just don't need this. You know what? I'm going to drop out and walk away. You know what we'd say to that person? You are ill-prepared to be successful in life. Yes or no? But when people do it seriously, we're like, oh, that's fine. The pastor needs to be better. I am the best. <laughs> just so you know, you got a good pastor here. So this is important to you. So, I, yeah, that's all right. It was a joke, okay? <laughs> joke, joke. Th- this, this is important to you because it will cause you to have to go deeper. It may be like for you, okay, I've got to dig a little bit here, but the reward of digging is the treasure that you get from it. There's treasure in it. So that's where I'm trying to take you today. So I need, I don't just need your heart. I need you to engage your brain for the next few minutes. Give me 40 minutes to take you and show you something that's amazing. And in fact, that's where we'll start. Let me give you three amazing facts 
about why you should care about this message, why it's relevant to you, does it connect to you, is it important to you? Pastor, why even spend the time, of all the things you could teach in the Bible, why teach about this? So let me give you three amazing facts about Israel that you should, you should understand this is where this teaching comes from. One, let me talk about the everlasting covenant. Write that down. One, everlasting covenant. It's really important. Genesis 17, 7, God is speaking first person to the patriarch of our faith, Abraham. There were three of them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Father Abraham. Remember that one, Father Abraham, many sons. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I work hard when I'm up here, man. I am never mailing it in. I'm giving you everything I got. All right. So he's the patriarch of our faith. God comes to Abraham and says this. Abraham's not coming to God. And this is important. God pursues Abraham. And so the same thing is true with you. You're not looking for God. God is looking for you. And when we use the term, I found God, it is such a misnomer. You weren't smart enough. You weren't even looking for God. If you found God, it's because God found you. You get what I mean? All we can do is respond. And so Abraham, he's not looking for God. God comes to him and says, Abraham, come out from amongst your people. I will be your God. You will be my people. And then he makes this statement to Abraham that's really powerful. And so this is, this is ultra important. And it's why I teach on these things. I will confirm my covenant. Covenant is a fancy word for promise. I will confirm my promise with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. Okay, now read this with me. This is the everlasting Stop. Okay, let's do it again. This is the Stop. Everlasting. Okay. If I say everlasting, I want you to think about it. I'm 55 years old. If I say everlasting, that might be another 40 years. Maybe. It certainly won't be 100 years. So everlasting is only as long as I'm here on this earth to make it last. But if God, who has no beginning and no end, says to you everlasting, how long is everlasting? So, I mean, beyond what we can comprehend. So first of all, if God says everlasting, he means everlasting. He doesn't mean for a period of time, but everlasting. And then this is really important. He's making a promise to Abraham. I'm giving you this covenant or my promise as an everlasting promise. Now think about this. If God doesn't keep that promise to Abraham, why should you put any faith in a promise he makes to you? Follow, did you follow my thinking on that? So if God's not faithful to Abraham, how can you put any faith? If he breaks covenant with Abraham, he'll break covenant with you too. Right. If he is not faithful to his word with Abraham, why should he be? When Jesus said, I promise to never leave you and forsake you, how can you trust that if God changes his mind? Right. Did you get it? Yeah. So there's, there's an everlasting covenant here that's important because God said it. And then here's what God said. Here's the covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So I will always be your God and the God of your descendants. So you're going to go, yeah, but he's, Abraham's the father of Israel, the Jews. What does that have to do with us? Oh, let me take you there. Okay. Two, the incredible promise. The incredible promise. So this is God, first person again, talking to Abraham. And here's a promise that God gives to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And then this sentence is what I want you to see. All. How many is all? all. You have to mess up so bad to mess up the word all. All does not mean some, a few, or just those people. All is all. everybody. 
so all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Here's God's plan. God does not have two different things that he's doing to bring salvation to the earth. He has one thing that he's doing. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to God unless they go through me. There's not a back door to get to God. So he's doing one thing in the earth. Now, here's the teaching today that's, uh, that's erroneous. God, God makes a covenant with Abraham, with the Jews, and the Jews rejected Jesus, so God then took the church and made them spiritually Israel in order to fulfill his covenant. It's called replacement theology, that the church is the replacement for Israel. That is so false. Because in the book of Romans, I'll show you in a minute, God has temporarily blinded Israel so that the Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, can come into the gospel. But before he's done, he'll open their eyes to it too. So that all will come into salvation. That's an interesting Interesting thought. How about this? The reason to bless Israel, if for no other reason God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, how many want to be blessed? If you don't want to be blessed, then don't raise your hand. But if you want to be blessed, raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you don't get blessing. Okay, so we all want to be blessed. And here's what we pray. God bless me. God bless my, bless my work. Bless my family. Bless my marriage. Bless my money. God bless, bless, bless. Here's what I have found to be true. If you'll get involved with what God is already blessing, you'll be blessed. So if God said, I will bless those who bless you, then for no other reason to pay attention to this message, you want to be blessed. Agreed? Okay, last one. The inclusion benefit. Okay, the inclusion benefit. This is the scripture from Romans that I was talking about. Pull it up there real quick. It's Romans 11, 7. Dude, I'm sorry if I'm talking so fast. I've got so much information. Jake said each one of these could have been a one-week message, and I'm doing four weeks in 45 minutes. Who else but me could get it done? Uh, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, talking about the Jews, some of the people of Israel have been broken off, and you Gentiles, by the way, do you know what the word Gentile means? Without God. And here's the actual meaning, a people without a promise. So God is talking to the people he hasn't made covenant with to tell them, here's how I'll make a covenant and a promise with you. That's good stuff right there. Okay, but mom, thank you for shaking your head yes to me. (laughs) Everybody else is just kind of looking up, but you are just like, that's my son. Yeah, (laughs) thank you for supporting me. Uh, So, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off and you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. Now, I don't have time to do a horticulture message, but here's, God's not planting two different trees. He has one tree, and the branches of that tree, some of them have been broken off so that you could be grafted in. So God's not planting you in a different place for a different understanding. He takes you and puts you into the promise or the covenant that he gave to Abraham. Can you see that in that scripture right there? So that's why I can tell you Israel hasn't been replaced. You're a part of Israel. Okay, so now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So if we get blessed from the root, which is Israel, then it makes sense, bless them, and you'll be blessed. You get that? Easy to follow? Okay, deep thinking here just a little bit. So understanding then... The connection between Israel, Jesus, and you. Israel, Jesus, and you. 
How do those three things connect to each other? That's why I'm going to teach on the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'll read the scripture to you. This is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul is talking to a church of Gentile believers, not Jewish believers. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are not only shadows of the reality. I'm sorry, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And then this sentence right here. Christ himself is that reality. So when we teach on these these holidays and these, these, these things that they looked at in the Old Testament, I'm not trying to tell you you need to keep these things. I'm trying to show you these things reveal Jesus to God didn't come up with a new plan in the New Testament. His plan all along was Jesus. And all the things in the Old Testament are to reveal Jesus to us today. So if you ever read your Bible and you're like, why do we have an Old Testament? I start in Genesis, I get to Exodus, I die in Leviticus. <laughs> Be honest. Few of you ever make it to Numbers. True? True. So we turn over to Matthew. They'll go, I get it, Jesus. But So why is it in there? All of those things are a type and a shadow, but Jesus is the reality or the fulfillment of all those things. So what I'm about to show you, when we look at the feast, they're to reveal Jesus. And if you're a Christ follower, that's why these things should be interesting to you. There's a blessing in them. There's a, a revelation in them. There's a, a goodness in them. All right, so A, in your notes, you want to fill it in? Rosh Hashanah. By the way, Rosh Hashanah starts tomorrow, uh, sundown tonight. Very good. Perfect. You know, the news tried to explain the high holy days. Yesterday, Jake and I talked about it. You talk about people out of their element trying to explain spiritual things. Uh, tomorrow, we'll begin the Feast of the Jews. <laughs> what the heck is that? Okay. So Rosh Hashanah um, literally means, in Hebrew, head of the year, the head. So the Jewish New Year is tomorrow. It's not January 1st. It's tomorrow. Now, the significance of it is that those things reveal Jesus. He's the reality of them. So this is what the Bible teaches. Christ is the head and we are the body. So let me point this out to you. Here's what it's trying to say to you. The head directs the body. The body doesn't direct the head. When a person lets their appetites, their lusts, their desires, their worries, their fears, uh, whatever. When you let your appetites direct your life, it messes up your head. But when the head thinking clearly directs the body, it goes to the right place, yes or no? Okay, so here's what an observant Jew is going to do for the next 10 days. And by observant, I just mean a person who's paying attention, who wants to be obedient to what God says. Here's what a person is doing for the next 10 days in Israel. They begin to look into their heart over the next 10 days and they ask God to reveal to them what's in my heart. What are the intents of my heart? Who has first place in my life? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Do you know that the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else and no one can know it? And that's why you need God to show you what's in your heart because you could sit here today and think you're okay. And I'm going to tell you about me, not you. Your pastor lives in a culture 
that so demands and screams for his time and his money and his affection and for who gets first place that all I do is end up trying to juggle God in the middle of all the other things that want it. And I'm trying to make him the first place in my life, but I find myself in all the juggling losing my passion and my energy. You ever gone through the motions? You're here today because you love him, but here's my real question to you. Are you experiencing joy? Are you experiencing life? What's your passion level at right now? So King David in the Old Testament says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. You don't renew something for the first time. Renew is what you do the second, the third, the fourth, the hundredth time, correct? So here's a guy saying, inside of me is the propensity that I get lost in life and I need you to renew or refocus me. It's, look, rhetorically, you don't have to respond to this, but you can if you want to. Do you ever lose focus and you need God to refocus you spiritually? Yeah, come on. You know why everybody says yes? Because we all experience it, but we never talk about it. We're just like, come on, God, do something. I'm trying, I'm trying. Here's the great point. You don't need to go out here and make yourself do anything. All you're responsible for is to say to God, will you do this in my heart? So that's why an observant person over the next 10 days is asking God, reveal to me my heart. Uh, So by the way, Jesus in the book of Revelation, speaking to a church, says this. You've lost your first love. You no longer do the things you used to do, and your passion for me has ebbed. And so here's the cure. Repent and go back to your first love. Where's your first love at? You okay? You look shocked right now. Just, I love you. I'm not up here. Larry, come on. This is not, there's no condemnation in this. What I'm trying to tell you is the human condition. So Jesus said this, when the seed is given out. Jesus himself said this, immediately the devil comes to steal the seed. And then these things vie for a place in your life. The worries of life. Anybody have worries? How much energy does worrying take? And how much time do you spend worrying? Too much? Hey, come on, be real with me for a minute. Don't play church with me right now. I spend way too much time worrying too. And you know what God is calling us to? Cast all your cares on me because I care about you. That's what the Bible says. But dude, we read that and we seldom do it because it's not, you need God to spiritually refocus and put this inside of you, don't you? To bring you back to your first love, that joy and that ease with which you live life. When he has first place, it's amazing how the rest of your life gets ordered. But when you're trying to juggle it all and figure it out, isn't it amazing when the body leads the head how messed up your life gets? Okay, so what can we do about this? So I just, I just had this thought, uh, and, and just, it came to me this week. I just really believe it's the Holy Spirit. I want to, uh, we're going to do this in my house. So Chris and I are doing this with Brent, who lives with us. He's our special needs son, and he lives with us. And we're going to do this uh, every morning or evening, depending on what time Brent can accommodate us. Um, but I want to help you with it, too. 
So with our app, uh, Rosh Hashanah starts sundown tonight, but it's going to be all day tomorrow. So starting tomorrow, I'm going to send out a scripture every day and a thought or a prayer that you can be praying or focusing on to ask God over the next 10 days, help me know where my heart is. Help me to figure out what's going on spiritually inside of my life. Ah, is, is this even New Testament, right? Because if it's not, maybe you can argue with me. Pastor, that, we don't need to do things like that. But if, if, if Paul writes to a church that you need to figure out where your heart is spiritually, then we need to do something about it. Do you agree? Yes. Let me show you this real quick. Can you pull that up for me? I got it. I'm all over my notes. Okay. 2 Corinthians. This is Paul writing ah, to a Gentile church again in Corinth. What's the first word? Examine, Examine someone else. <laughs> oh, she wish it said that. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to know what's going on in somebody else's. It would just be so much easier. Ah, I see your stuff. You, you need help, my friend. I'm sorry. I'm okay. But you, you're God. You. <laughs> Examine... <laughs> I don't know what happens to me in this last service. I think I'm tired. <laughs> Examine yourselves to see if your faith is, what's the word? So, so look, he's not condemning them and saying, you're a bunch of frauds and phonies and you don't believe in Jesus. He's telling them, examine yourselves and check where your passion level is at, right? Have you lost your first love? And then he's not like, you know what? You're cut out and God's done with you and he's, he's ready to pound on you. So, so test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you, and if not, you failed the test of genuine faith. So his prescription is not, if you failed the test, you're a phony. His prescription is, if you fail the test, do something about it. Pass the freaking test. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's not pulpit language, is it? Sorry, that's, yeah, it's bad. Sorry, Mom. That's, that's, sorry about that. It's not good. Sorry, pass the test. If you spent 10 days looking inside and doing it the right way, where do you think you'd be after 10 days? It's probably not the place. You'd probably be like, now look, if you're a prideful person, you'd spend 10 days and you'd go, ooh, I'm glad you said to do that, pastor. I feel really good about me. Or if you're blind, you'd spend 10 days and you'd go, I don't see anything. But if you're humble and you allow God to show you Here's what it should do for you over 10 days. It should remind you of your great need for the Savior. Because you didn't need God just the day you were born again. You've needed God every day since then. Yes or no? Do we get that? Because we get born again and then we take over our lives. We're doing it. We sit on the throne. God, there's room for you next to me. So I'm, you know, God is my co-pilot. That's where it came from, right? No, that didn't come from. It should bring you to the place of recognizing your need for God again, which then, right at the end of Rosh Hashanah, is Yom Kippur. B, Yom Kippur. Y-O-M-K-I-P-P-U-R. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur in Hebrew means the day of atonement. It's the most solemn and holy day in Israel even today. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a temple that was in Jerusalem. And in the temple uh, inside was a room called the Holy of Holies. And in fact, those of you who are traveling with me to Israel, I'll take you along the outer perimeter 
of the temple wall will go down in time about 50 feet to the original uh, foundation stones that were laid. And I'll show you the stones, but we'll pass right by a sign that will say on the other side of this wall was where the Holy of Holies was. It's a powerful thing. The Holy of Holies is where the physical presence of God dwelt on the earth. And the only one allowed once a year into this place was the high priest. And the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. Dude, for our sensibilities, it would not fit well if we were to witness what it looked like 3,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement because the sacrifice of the animals was so incredible. And it would have been messy and smelly and... They would take, here's what it represented. And this is, we get so messed up because we don't understand it. We think, oh, they were barbarians and what was wrong with them. But it was, it, it, it was to reveal a truth. And here was the truth that was being revealed in Jesus. The blood of the innocent takes the place for the guilty. So the blood of an innocent animal was spilt. And then the priest would take a branch of hyssop, which represented punishment and cleansing would dip it in the blood of the innocent animals, would go into the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies was um, Mo- Moses's. Um, what was it called? The Ark. The Ark, thank you. I actually knew it for the last two services. <laughs> God, I need you so much. So in the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the top of the Ark was called the Mercy Seat. Not the judgment seat, which aren't you glad it's not called the judgment seat, but the mercy seat. So the high priest would go in with the hyssop branch dipped in the blood of the innocent animals, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And he would cry, holy, holy, holy to the Lord, reminding God not of holiness doesn't mean, you know, I'm holy, boom. Holiness also includes that he is justice and he is mercy and he is love and he is good so the high priest is reminding God of his covenant with Abraham I make an eternal promise with you and the blood of the innocent is covering for the guilty okay I'm going to read to you a number of scriptures here from Hebrews chapter 11 now look Somewhere in church today, we've dumbed it down so much for our culture that if you read more than three scriptures, a person's like, you expect me to understand that? Think deep. Go there with me for a moment. Let me read this to you and try to understand how the high priest doing that in the Old Testament on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, it reveals Jesus. So let me show you in the New Testament how Jesus became the sacrifice for us as our high priest, presenting his blood to the Father and once and for all taking away our sin. So this is Hebrews, I'm sorry, not 11, Hebrews 9, 11 through 28. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of an animal, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think 
how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant or promise between God and people so that all who are called, remember God said, through you, all the nations. Abraham, through his line came Jesus. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sins. Do you know that Paul says the penalty of sin is? It's death. Look at me. Somebody's got to die. You or Jesus? Who do you choose? You do not want to stand before God and answer for your own sins. You want to stand before God having Jesus been the one who answered for you. Do you hear me right now? I cannot be more deadly serious with you. Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using the hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant of the promise that God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. Remember this sentence. For without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Someone's going to bleed. You were Jesus. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again once a year like the high priest on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Here's a little mystery and a little treasure that if you'll pay attention, I'll show you, I'll show you something really cool. He will come again. So 
you can't do something again unless you've done it the first time. So this is speaking of his second coming, the return. Correct? Okay. He will come again not to deal with our sins like the first time, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. And by the way, we're talking about the day of atonement when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Correct? Connecting Jesus, who is the revelation of all these things. I think the Bible is giving us a little hint. We can't know the exact day, but we can know the season. And I think the Bible is telling us the return of Christ might be around Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. How powerful would it be for Jesus to come back on the very day that represents the high priest making the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world? Okay, the day after Yom Kippur is the Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe you've heard it called the Feast of Booths. Both are correct. Here's, um, let me put it to you, modern vernacular. Uh, If you've spent 10 days repenting, you've been forgiven and restored, then the only thing left to do is... Party. Somehow the devil stole party from God's people. We were the original party people. And church turned into some kind of a solemn, quiet, reverential, don't mess up in their event. And really it was supposed to be the place where you could be most like who you really want to be in front of God and celebrate and be joyful. And when Jesus said, I came to bring abundant life, he did not say, I came to bring a reverential life. I came to bring abundance, joy. Where's the joy? Where's the passion? Yes or no, it belongs to you. Ah. So if we follow this, okay, if Jesus is Rosh Hashanah, the head that directs the body, and he is Yom Kippur, the atonement that takes away our sacrifice, then he is also the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in Hebrew, it means in-gathering or gathering. And so once Jesus comes back, if he does come back on Yom Kippur, then this is what the Bible tells us. When he comes back, he gathers his church to himself, and it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And I think that that's the Feast of Tabernacles, and here's why. The prophet Zechariah, who was a minor prophet 2,500 years ago, prophesied things that are relevant to you today because they haven't come true yet. And this is what Zechariah said about the return. Not the first coming of Jesus, but the return of Jesus and what will happen after he returns. He will come, uh, yeah, then, no, wait, no, 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 you're, no, 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 it's, no, (laughs) there's a story with that, but I don't have time to tell it, no, 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 (laughs) no, go forward, no, that's not the one, go to Zechariah, there, stop, freeze, okay, okay, then the Lord will go out, And fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which when we go to Israel, we stand on the Mount of Olives right next to the old city, overlooking where the temple was. This is where Jesus was arrested. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. Okay, So the Lord will uh, go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. It's talking about an earthquake from east to west. Uh, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. On that day, now this is talking about a special day. On that day, 
There will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a, what kind of day? A unique day, a day known only to the Lord, a day like no other day, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. What kind of a day is that? And on that day, living water, not water, but living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea, half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. God, we have so many world religions and multiple ways that seem to be paths to God. How could there end up being only one thing? If Jesus did return and everybody saw it, it would be irrefutable proof that he is the king. Do you agree with that statement? Now, if he doesn't come back, believe whatever you want to believe. But if he does, then it will settle the argument once and for all and his name would be the only name and he would be the only king and people could repent if they saw it. Do you agree? Ah, Okay, then look what they do. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and read this with me, and to celebrate the Feast of... So if this is Jesus' return, the in-gathering, and he pulls the church together, and the church at that point, all they do is celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is everything that he's... I think it's a little mystery that the Lord has revealed. I think he could come back on Yom Kippur and then the very next day is a day like no other day. A day without... Night ends the day. But if there's no night, the day never ends. It's eternity. Do you see it? It's (laughs) eternity. Be at that feast. I'm going to be at that table, and I want to look and see you there. Don't let the circle be broken. Don't hear this message and push me away, pass me by, or say it's irrelevant to me. Don't drop out. Don't say it's not important. Don't be ill-prepared to go into eternity.